Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the best of Julia Hartley Brewer, my daily podcast with the best bits from my talk radio breakfast show. Talk radio breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and the Times. Be well informed. Let's talk to Matt Hancock, the Health Secretary, who joins us. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Now, obviously, we've got a lot to talk to you about, including coronavirus and like. Uh, but mm. actually, this morning, you're talking about a brand new organ donation system that's going to come in on the 20th of May this right. year. Uh, what's, what's it going to mean? Well, I'm, I'm very, very pleased that we were able to bring this in. We're changing the rules so that people who, um, who, who, who die, their organs will be able to be used to save somebody else's life unless they explicitly opt out. So at the moment, you have to explicitly opt in. You have to say, I want to be an organ donor. An increasing number of people have been doing that in recent years, which is good. Uh, but there's lots of people who, aren't, who, who haven't got a problem with it, but they just don't get round to it. And we're saying that from the 20th of May, unless you, unless you go onto the website or talk to your GP or phone the phone number to say you don't want your organs used, in future they will be able to be used because there are over 5,000 people waiting for an organ donation in England right now, and we obviously uh, uh, an organ can can save somebody's life. Well, indeed, and again, we've had, we've seen the system change in countries like Spain. We know Wales has has been ahead yeah. of us on this. Um, and what there has been an issue though about doctors saying they don't want to override the views of uh, the family members. So if something happened to one of my family members, and if I said, "Oh well, you know, I don't want their organs removed," even if they've had a consent form, they've actually opted in to to uh, to actually give their organs away that can be overruled by a close family member. Are you going to still allow that? Uh, we are. Th- that has happened in a very small number of cases in Wales. Uh, we think that's a, it, it's sensible to have that because overall what we want to do is get the number of people who are, uh, whose organs are being um, used to save lives, get that number up. Uh, and so being able to take into account the concerns of people who want to be able to opt out or where there are very specific uh, circumstances where a family doesn't want a dis- uh, somebody who's died, their organs to be used, um, then making sure you take into account these concerns and we have respect for people who don't want their organs to be used, it's a really important part of keeping overall support for this system because the big change is that people who simply haven't engaged on this question, um, their organs now as of the 20th of May, will be able to be used and, um, and, and that will save 
hundreds of lives a year, we think. OK, well, let's talk about saving lives from the coronavirus. Mm. Uh, new advice this morning uh, from the chief medical officer calling for people who've returned, particularly from areas of northern Italy, which are currently undergoing quarantine after they've seen uh, a spate of cases, now seven deaths as well, uh, calling on Britons returning from northern Italy to self-isolate. Is, is that going to be enough uh, to stem the spread of this disease? Uh, we think so. I, I follow the medical advice very, very closely and carefully. And our chief medical officer himself is an expert in epidemiology, i.e. In, in tackling uh, these sorts of crises. Um, and the, the clear advice is that if you've been to Italy, north of Pisa, in the last 14 days, and then you have symptoms, uh, uh, flu-like symptoms, a, a cough or a sneezing, um, then you should self-isolate at home, which means go home, try not to see other people, um, try to go out as little as possible, definitely don't use public transport, and try not to see family members unless you have to. Um, and then, if you, But if you've been to one of the areas that is being quarantined by the Italian government, then please self-isolate, even if you don't have any symptoms. And this is new advice as, as of this morning. It's all about keeping the public safe. That's been the total focus in this, uh, in, in this as this but, virus but it, has spread. But again, this is going to rely on people both being willing to follow that advice, but also being able to follow that advice. There have been many people who haven't got a nice staff job in the civil service where they can say, oh, I've been told to stay at home or can I do some work from home? People who need to go to work, need to use public transport, they haven't got any other option. What do they do? Well, don't knock civil servants because they work incredibly hard. Well, they say they didn't work hard, but they're, but they're more likely to be on staff and get Paid uh, paid sick leave. Yeah, but you know this on what coronavirus. What if, I, what, what if I just come back from Italy and I, I I don't get paid if I don't come to work? What are we doing to help people who are on low incomes who who who, who would, would struggle uh, if they weren't able to go to work? Well, that is going to um, obviously that has to be addressed. It's very important. Um, but the the advice is really clear which is to go home in the same way that if you are ill, you have to take time off and you have to go home for medical reasons. This is staying at home, self-isolating for medical reasons. You know, and everybody has uh, periods in which they're ill. And no, we but have we're a talking about people who place. aren't ill being asked to self-isolate, uh, aren't but, we? But, it, but they're being asked to self-isolate for medical reasons, and, okay. and that's important. And the, the, the key thing is here is that we have a plan. We have a plan to contain this virus and try to stop it becoming a major thing. We have a plan in case it becomes a major thing, as the World Health Organization has warned. But crucially, you can do something too. Every single person can do something to try to help this country to avoid this virus becoming big. And that is to wash your hands. If you sneeze, to make sure you cover it up, catch it, kin it kill it and bin it. Um, and to make sure that if you have been travelling to one of the affected areas, to follow the travel advice. You know, we've got to tackle a virus like this as a whole community. The NHS will play its part. We in the in the department and government as a whole will play our part, and we're working incredibly hard on it. Okay. But also, everybody can do their bit, especially by washing your hands. OK, uh, let's also talk about another story out today. And this is a report by Professor Sir Michael Marmot. He's a leading expert on health inequality mm. at University College London. He's issued a report saying that he thinks that uh, life expectancy uh, growth has stalled over the past decade, for the first time in 100 years, and that life expectancy, particularly among the poorest uh, women living in the poorest communities, in England has actually declined since 2011 and he puts a lot of this down to he thinks austerity uh, under the coalition and Tory governments since 2010. What say you? Well I think this is an incredibly important issue uh, and I think he's right to highlight it. Um, I think that um, the good news is that life expectancy has been rising 
But that increase hasn't been shared everywhere. And there are some parts where that hasn't happened. And ultimately, you know, the prime minister talks about leveling up, I believe, very strongly in that agenda in making sure that the whole country benefits from the from the improvements that we see as a nation. And what more important leveling up can there be than the leveling up in life expectancy? You know, your expected healthy lifespan, your uh, how long you expect to be healthy for in Blackpool for a man is 53 years in Buckingham. It's 68 years. That's a 15 year gap. And we've got to tackle that. But 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 isn't a lot of that down to Neil? Look, it's a lot easier to make the right choices when you uh, you're living a nice life and got a good job and the like. But a lot of this is down to a lot of lifestyle choices yes. that people make in terms of whether they smoke, whether they drink heavily, or whether they live on fast food, whether they eat vegetables or not. A lot of this is going to come down to personal choice. We can even up and end those health inequalities, but it will fundamentally involve telling people what they can and can't eat, won't it? Uh, not necessarily. So, so um, the the interesting thing is that approximately a quarter, just under a quarter, of what affects your healthy life expectancy is determined by the NHS and what happens in hospitals. A quarter. So, as you say, there's loads of other things that matter. Your genetics matter. Um, how you behave and what you choose to do, like like whether you smoke or not, matters. And also your, the environment, right? The environment you live in, whether how high the air pollution is locally. So there are things that people can do to take responsibility for themselves, but there's also things that we can do, especially with the NHS. I'll give you one really stark example. Um, in Blackpool that I mentioned, where the um, healthy life expectancy is amongst the lowest in the, in the country, one in four pregnant women smoke. In central London, that number is one in 50. And if you smoke in pregnancy then the, that has an impact on your child for their whole life. And the, 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 there are things that we can do as a society to persuade people not to smoke in pregnancy. So, it, 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 of course, it's about individual choices, but it's also about how we address those um, the, the, the problems. And, and so I, I, I take the challenge. I accept the challenge that uh, uh, Michael Marmot has set down. And the question for us now is what do we do to fix these problems, essentially to level up in health? Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Know your times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. 
Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Right now, let's turn our attention to something that, well, has been pretty much non-stop in the news ever since that tragic night in June 2017 when we saw the loss of 72 lives in the Grenfell Tower fire. Uh, the evidence that there was dangerous cladding on that uh, tower block became, well, it was very clear, while the fire was still burning. And yet, almost three years on, thousands of people are still living in high-rise buildings uh, which uh, have still got Grenfell-style cladding on them. Well, today, Andy Burnham, the Mayor of Greater Manchester, uh, is going to appeal to the government to take immediate action to help those people. Let's talk to him right now. Good morning, Julia. Uh, good morning. Um, this, I mean, it is absolutely extraordinary, I think, to most people that all these years on from the Grenfell Tower fire, we still have people living in buildings which have got exactly the same kind of cladding on, which could themselves just be tinderboxes. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. Half a million people, Julia, according to a, a survey yesterday, half a million people uh, trapped in a building which fire services deemed to be unsafe uh, homes that now have no value because of that. And they're spending a lot of money on interim safety measures, waking watches, as they're called, you know, people going around the building every night to check it's OK. I mean, it's like a living nightmare for people. Um, and, of course, no fault of their own. Uh, and that's why we're in London today, in Westminster. It's time that those in power heard the voices of people trapped in this way and, and ended this terrible situation right now. Yeah, I mean, this, this is the thing, isn't it? We, we, we had it, you know, it was made very clear. I can remember covering the fire in the morning uh, as, it, uh, as it had just happened. And it was clear very, very quickly what the, what the key issue was. We've got this ongoing inquiry uh, and we've got to have police investigations and possibly criminal prosecutions later as well. Uh, and yet it does seem that all the other people who are living in either council blocks where the cladding has been on and, and the huge number of people in private blocks in particular have been very much left in the lurch. Um, surely there must be some legal redress for these people, though, given that this cladding is clearly not meant to be put on high-rise blocks. Well, it, possibly, Julia, but it's a legal minefield, isn't it? And it's beyond the means of people who are, as I say, in a position where their homes have very little value and they're already paying big service charges just to stay safe. So that's why they haven't been able to resolve um, the situation. And the government has, yes, dealt with the Grenfell-style cladding, but it's not dealt with all the other types of cladding. And you know, I heard your guest before saying, oh, there's no real risk. Well, I'm sorry, but there is. People might remember a fire in Bolton uh, in November yep. last year where fire ripped up the cladding on a student block uh, in the middle of the town centre. Now, that wasn't the Grenfell-style cladding. But is anyone going to say that that wasn't highly flammable cladding? Well, I certainly wouldn't want to, uh, to say that. And it was something of a miracle, actually, actually, Julia, that nobody was hurt or worse uh, on that on that night, and I remember a few uh, kind of very uh, sober voices in government the next morning, realizing just how how serious that situation could have been, uh, and uh, cognizant possibly of the fact that action, not enough action has been taken to protect 
people who find themselves in blocks like that. I mean, we've actually done some uh, you know, investigations into this uh, here at Talk Radio. And again, a lot of the people who are in private blocks say being left in the lurch, service charges going sky high, you know, quadrupling uh, in, in, or more in some cases. People can't afford the service charges. They can't afford to have the cladding taken off because that will cost uh, tens and tens of thousands of pounds. But also they can't sell their homes uh, because, of course, who wants to buy a home in a, in a tower block that's got Grenfell-style cladding? Well, exactly. And I've been in meetings in central Manchester with people in that situation. And honestly, the, the damage it's doing to their mental health is, is pretty huge, uh, I've got to say. You know, young people just feeling that they are in a, in a tunnel with no light at the end of it. You know, it's, it's really not, not right at all. And, you know, they were entitled to expect when they took out leases or bought properties that, that all the, the rules were in place that made sure that their building was safe. And we now know that wasn't the case. You know, it's just a bit frustrating, isn't it? You know, we're going to be standing in front of Parliament today, uh, Julia, and everyone will be able to see the scaffolding all over it. And it feels sometimes in this country that no expense is spared for certain things, yeah. or, you know, there's always a way of finding money for some things, but, but not for others. And I'm sure some of the residents today will be looking at Parliament thinking, oh, well, they can find money to make where they, they, they work nice and, nice and pleasant, but they can't find the money to make safe where we live. And uh, I, I think that will be the, the, the thought going through a lot of people's minds. Um, thought going through a lot of other people's minds is when on earth is the Labour leadership contest going to end? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You, of course, have run uh, against uh, uh, for the Labour leadership before uh, and uh, and didn't didn't make didn't make the final cut. Um, who are you supporting uh, in this Labour leadership contest? Who do you think's got the best chance of taking on Boris Johnson? Well, I, I did make the final. I got into the last... I came second, well, if came you second, remember. That's what right. I mean. You mean, at the end of the day, you weren't the Labour leader. That's true. That, that, that is true. I was trying, I to, I was trying to think that. of a nice way of saying <laughs> it. You were being very diplomatic and <laughs> kind to me this morning, Julie. Um, I, I, I haven't made up my mind. I'm supporting Angela Rayner for deputy, but I wrote to all of the, um, the leadership candidates uh, a couple of, um, well, three or four weeks ago now, with my colleague Steve Rotherham, because we felt invisible to the Labour Party in the last three years. You know, we are Labour mayors in big cities, yet we don't get invited to speak at annual conference. Um, we don't get talked up at the dispatch box like Mr Street in Birmingham, by, like the Tories do. And uh, we don't have any nomination rights in this, in this contest. And the message we were sending back to them is, look, you need to embrace devolution and what we're doing and that's part of Labour's road back. And I haven't had a reply from any of them at the moment. So uh, forgive me if I'm saying I'm, I'm a little underwhelmed by the level of commitment to devolution. And that, that was the judgment that I uh, made in terms of who would get my vote, who has got the strongest answers on that. And I haven't had any answers from them yet. Now, you have called for Labour to return to mainstream tradition. You're, of course, someone who served uh, under Tony Blair. There's been a real sort of anti-Tony Blair uh, feeling in the party under Jeremy Corbyn for quite some time, despite the fact that he's actually... <laughs> lost only Labour leader in goodness knows how many decades who's actually won uh, general elections. Do you see any chance that any of the potential candidates, I have Keir Starmer, Rebecca Long-Bailey uh, and Liz and Andy, that they could actually win a general election against the Tories? I think we, we potentially are about to take a, a step forward and put ourselves back more in touch with the, with the public. Um, and I like a lot of what Lisa has been saying. I like a lot of what Keir has uh, been saying in particular. But, you know, it is a serious job of work to be done, uh, Julia. You know, my former constituency, Labour for almost 100 years, now isn't. And has any, any candidate really understood uh, why that happened? And it feels at times as though this contest has been dealing with very minority issues rather than actually getting to the heart of why uh, that happened. There is a perception that Labour has become more, 
university educated uh, liberal middle class over the years and has lost an ability to talk to voters in in Bournemouth well, in seats like can I, ask, I know you have to go but can I just ask of in terms of your voters uh, who elected you as, as mayor of Greater Manchester is is the talk on the streets and in the pubs incessantly about trans activist rights uh, no, it, it isn't. Uh, there is a concern in some communities about that issue, and I've been involved to a degree in that issue, and it has its place, but not as the main issue that's being being debated, because there are, you know, very very substantial questions that Labour has to face up to in terms of uh, how do you uh, have an agenda now about the north of England? We cannot cede this ground to the Tories, and all and let them say that devolution is 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 the space that they occupy. Labour needs to. You know, get back in touch on the ground, and you know, I, I worry that it still isn't facing up to the full extent of what happened uh, last December. So, you know, we wait and see. Uh, they need to get on with this contest, bring it to an end, get a new leader, and try and, and try and move forward. Right. But you know, it's it's as you say, it's gone on too long. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and the Times. Know your times. Well, let's talk to Mark Stevens, CBE. He's a lawyer from Howard Kennedy. And Mark, uh, you've actually represented one of the women who made allegations against Harvey Weinstein. Yes, I have. And uh, it's interesting to see the convictions because I think yesterday's convictions really only act as chapter one in this story. Um, and then, of course, chapter two will be uh, the similar slew of uh, uh, allegations which are up for trial in Los Angeles shortly. Uh, chapter three will be his appeals because, of course, he has nothing to lose now. He stands in jeopardy of 29 years in jail. Uh, and as a consequence of that, he, there's no downside to an appeal. And, of course, there are investigations both here in London and also uh, in Italy as well. So I think that this uh, story has many uh, mm. pages to turn. And I think that... Uh, we are going to see uh, this move on. Yeah, and indeed, well, of course, I imagine rather a lot of civil cases going to be filed as well after that guilty verdict. And we know that uh, there were an awful lot of women who gave evidence in that trial that's taken over the last few months for Harvey Weinstein, who had themselves claimed to have been sexually assaulted and even uh, violently raped by him. Um, but their cases were not brought because of the statute of limitations, they just simply weren't able to legally, or it was just felt by the prosecutors that there wasn't enough evidence. But they gave evidence as, as sort of a a, a, of character and of a, a sort of a modus operandi that he was using. And we've seen yes, documentary... I mean, I think that that similar fact evidence is yeah. quite important. So, for example, um, the allegation of uh, a forcible, intimate sexual assault uh, at the probably the most serious end of the scale um, is very similar in quite a number of the cases, as it was in the one for which he was convicted yesterday. And I think it's important to understand that, you know, the offence carries a maximum of 25 years imprisonment. And that kind of gives you a marker of just how serious these offences are, um, in the sense that most people in the UK don't go to jail for murder for yes. that length of time. And I think it's important that the sentencing will likely be for a relatively long period of time. And the reason uh, for that is, I think, partly a punishment at the abuse of his dominant position, but also to send out a message and also to stand as a vindication for the women who made the allegations, who stood up and were counted 
in the courtrooms and, and indeed around the world. I mean, there are, though, still big issues concerning the number of people around him who knew what he was doing or had a darn good idea about what he was doing, not just the people in his company who were happily paying off women to the tune of hundreds and hundreds and sometimes even millions of pounds on these non-disclosure agreements, uh, but also the fact that, I mean, some of the documentaries I've seen about, about his behaviour, um, they claims you know, some female assistants who, who were you know, leading young actresses up to his hotel suites and leaving him there really very, very much safe in the knowledge that they knew what, what he was going to do. There do seem to be an awful lot of people around him who, who seem to think, because he was making them more money, because he was powerful, that he could get away with what were crimes. Well, I think that it's really important to understand um, there were two levels of enabler. I think the uh, most pernicious were those that were um, having him sign up or, or putting them to non-disclosure agreements, basically holding them in terror that they would be in litigation uh, and they would be bankrupted if they uh, made these allegations. Yes, these weren't publicly. necessarily these weren't women who were greedy. They were just sort of pushed into a situation where well, I, they were left no other right. recourse. But I think also there was a second group of uh, people around him who thought that he had the morals of an alley cat, but actually never saw people come out uh, distressed or um, in, a, in a, you know, as if they had been raped. Mm. And indeed, in, on one occasion, uh, the, or the very first occasion that somebody was uh, found to be distressed, then uh, he was called on it. And uh, that was brought into the uh, domain, public domain. But of course, that was then silenced by the non-disclosure agreements. Yeah. And of course, the problem with non-disclosure agreements is that uh, nowadays, we're not allowed to cover up criminality. But in those days, 20 years ago, it was quite, for, well, it was quite regular that you did cover up criminality in this way. And of course, that's what happened. So the next person was vulnerable or increasingly vulnerable because they didn't know about the history. Whereas yeah. if you had a, a whole litany of public statements or the, the management of the company knew about the non-disclosure agreements, you could manage his behaviour or indeed manage him out of the company. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. Well, we shall see you again. As you said, he's a he's awaiting sentencing. He's actually behind bars right now. He's going to be sentenced on March the 11th. But again, then we'll face a trial in Los Angeles as well. Uh, Mark Stevens, CBE, lawyer from Howard Kennedy, representing one of the women who have made accusations against Harvey Weinstein. Thank you very much for joining us. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley-Brewer. Weekday mornings from 6.30 on Talk Radio. Thank you for listening to the best of Julia Hartley Brewer. Don't forget to catch me live tomorrow morning from 6.30 on DAB, Smart Speaker and online at talkradio.co.uk. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.